HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, road trippers, you have indeed reached Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. But before we can take off on this week's road trip, we need to fill up the tank, which is code for pay the bills, which is code for run the commercials for the folks who are enabling us to go on these agave road trips. So sit back and Chava and I will circle back to you in a second. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 35 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail served on the beautiful patio, which has ample room for social distancing. Travelers from around the world find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Hey, bartender, it's that time again time for Tales of the Cocktail. Tales of the Cocktail is the world's premier cocktail festival and the biggest street show for the folks working in the hospitality industry. This year's festival runs September 19th through 23rd, and there are both virtual events and in-person events. And some of those events include your favorite Agave Road Trip hosts. Right. So we're hosting a session called How Not to Kill Your Guests, in which emergency room physician Ryan Acock offers tips on how you can keep your customers off of his gurney. In another session at Tales, one I organized with Anna Nguyen, we suggest how a business can celebrate a different community in a way that is both culturally appropriate and financially successful. It's titled An Imperfect Guide to the Art of Celebrating Cultures. And it includes Lou, which is why it's an imperfect guide, sure. as well as Maestro Eduardo Angeles of La Locura. To attend either of these sessions, register for free at talesofthecocktail.org. Once registered, you can download the app and sign up for our session which you can find easily by searching for me, Lou Bang. Or me, Salvador Perivan. Wait, Salvador? I thought your name was Chava. Okay, Lou, now you're just proving that you're imperfect at celebrating other cultures. But I'm great at celebrating tales of the cocktail. You can also find the link by going to agaveroadtrip.com and looking under our menu, Fun Stuff. <laughs> 
And speaking of fun stuff, while you're at the Tales app, go look at the Virtual Agave Road Trip Exhibitor booth. There's an opportunity for bartenders to receive a free tasting kit tied to our next Drink With Us session in October. Oh man, that's a lot, Chava. So wait, so you sign up at talesofthecocktail.org to attend our sessions, which you find by searching our names, and then you have to search for Agave Road Trip Virtual Booth to find registration for our October tasting? What? Isn't there an easier way? Sure. Just send a message to us through the contact page at chagaverroadtrip.com and we'll help you navigate all of this. That's what makes you the perfect co-pilot. All that clear navigation. And if you're hearing this after September 2021, hey, just go to agave.video to watch the archived versions of all of these sessions. But in the meantime, strap yourself in for another episode of Agave Road Trip. I am Lou Bank. And I am Chava Perivan. And this is Agave Road Trip, the award-winning podcast that helps gringo bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. And today, Chava, today, Chava, today, Chava, get ready, Roy. You're going to love this. I'm going to need special sound effects for this. Today, Chava, I want to talk to you about the secret origin of mezcal. Wow. That, that, that's a grand introduction. And why do you think it's so secret? Do you think it's the, the popular no, like understanding why Mezcal has become such a huge thing? Of course it was George Clooney. That's responsible <laughs> for having Mezcal in everybody's mind. Well, you know mind. what? I'd actually say <laughs> that he's a part of it, but I don't think he's the secret origin. You mean like the, the actual... Like, it's Maya well, no? There's a goddess, there's mythology about it. What I mean is, I don't care if you read the New York Times, if you read the Wall Street Journal, if you read Food and Wine, if you read Better Homes and Gardens, whatever you're reading, somewhere there's been an article that's told you that Mezcal is having a moment. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about, okay, like, it's, it's, to my knowledge, it's been having a moment for at least 15 years. So what does it mean? Like, how did that happen that everybody is paying attention to Mezcal? Well, not everybody. A number of people here and there, no? Like, like that's why it's been having a moment for so long. Because suddenly the New York Times pays attention to it. Suddenly, very Homes yeah, and Gardens. Know, it's, it's, like it's, it's, it's been a trickling thing. That's fair. That's fair. Like, you know, it's still only one and a half percent of tequila sales, right? Yeah. But, but to be fair, like I've got this, uh, this client who's a, a, an older woman who doesn't drink. And she asked me a couple of years ago, like, what's this mezcal thing? Somehow she knew I was connected to it. And, you know. Maybe I'm, she was worried about your practices. Well, that's very fair. That's very fair. Maybe somebody came to her. I was like, maybe you don't work with this guy anymore. The hotel that I stay in over 4th of July in rural, uh, in rural Wisconsin has hickeras at the bar. Oh, wow. It's really penetrating society now. So, you know, I think the reason is, I think there, I think there are a few reasons. Right. right. I think the primary reason that, okay, so that mezcal is no longer just this thing that has a worm in it, the gusano. Yeah, because it it was not, that's interesting because mezcal is not that it was like this obscure gem in the back bar of places waiting to be discovered. 
that did not exist in the USA. Everything that existed had a worm and it was, yeah. I don't want to use strong words, but it was less than ideal. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the first time I had mezcal would have been in like 1989 at a housewarming party of mine in Manhattan. And and it probably paid eight, nine dollars for the bottle. And it was it was kind of like a dare. It was sort of sort of malort. Uh, for for us, God bless my Lord. God right? bless my Lord. Yeah. So um, so how did it go from that to this beautiful spirit? And you know, of course, you and I know it was always this beautiful spirit. But how did how did the world recognize that? And I think a large piece of that was Ron Cooper, the guy who founded Del mm-hmm. Gay, literally traveling all over the country since like ninety four or ninety five, all over the world, realistically, and serving it to people. I don't, I don't know if I fully agree because there were similar efforts. And again, I'm, I do not want to take any credit out of, of, of Ron Cooper, but I will claim that at the same time he was doing that, for example, in Mexico, we had Los Ansantes or we had Pierre de Almas. We had other actors, uh, at least I'm, I'm talking from, from the Mexican side. I, for example, never came across, uh, I, I did not know what Del Maguey was until like five years ago. But what year do you think you were seeing Los Danzantes in Mexico City? Well, again, you have to remember I'm 30 years old. So I uh, I, and yeah, I started, yeah, uh, I started paying attention. Wait, I thought you were 31. <laughs> well, 32, shit. Okay, never. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but, but my, so my point is this, right? Like I know for a fact that uh, Del Maguey was also the importer uh, for Los Danzantes into the U.S. initially, and and my theory is, and you're like like I didn't visit Mexico at the right time to be able to support this. Oh yeah, no, that's a lie. So the first time I visited Mexico City would have been 2009, and in 2009, I was talking to people who lived there who were like, "What? You go to Oaxaca to drink mezcal?" Well. Which would have been about the same time that you assumed anybody drinking mezcal was also crystal like, meth. No, that was like two thousand. Was doing crystal that meth. Two thousand five. Uh, by two two thousand five. By, by two thousand nine, okay. I was already in the middle of university, and a lot of uh, the kids actually have a whole theory about this. And uh, th- somebody was asking me actually, why do you think Oaxaca exploded the way it did in two thousand twelve? Like, why do you think yeah. it suddenly... Be- in 2012. Yes. Why, why did it become yeah. this super hot, popular spot that hadn't been to that like that? And it happened very fast. And this person specializes in violence in Mexico. So uh, I, I I get meaning meaning it's somebody who's an enforcer for the cartels. Well, no, no, they, he works for an NGO <laughs> that studies how violence uh, affects. Ah, that studies exactly. Violence. Yeah, okay. <laughs> doesn't yeah, enforce gotcha. violence. And I told him my theory that was given to me by a person that was the head of social. You know, in Mexico, to graduate from university, you have to do a social service, right? So you have to work for an. Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't, but yeah. So you okay. have to work for that's, an. That's interesting. You have to work for an NGO for a period of time, and most kids will do a summer. So when okay. the violence in Mexico was starting to get out of hand, in Michoacan and a lot of these places, they constricted all the social services to Oaxaca and Chiapas. So huh. you had a whole generation of university students that spent amazing summers doing their social service. With, in with a bunch of other university students. In Which explains why Posh is suddenly all over Mexico and the USA. But it's different because Posh... No, no, <laughs> because I did, I did two social services, actually. I did a social service uh, for 
for a summer in Chiapas. And then I did a social service for six months in Oaxaca. And in Chiapas, nobody will dare to drink posh because there was still not a chance to find it in a, in a, outside of a plastic bottle. Whereas in Oaxaca in 2009, you could already buy it in a bar. Well, so I think, like, I, I hear what you're saying, and I do think that has to be a part of it, right? Because it's never just one thing. But I really do think that it becomes popular in Mexico City, that mezcal becomes popular in Mexico City as a result of all of these gringos. And by gringos, again, I mean people who aren't from here. So I'm talking about mm. anywhere in the USA or in Europe where where Ron Cooper went and sold it nose to nose to people and they went to Oaxaca to see what the heck is this about. And I think when when you suddenly saw all of this tourism building up around Mescal, that's when the locals like you're never I don't care where you're from, you're never a prophet in your own. Oh home. no, and I and I will claim that the most tricks Oaxacan places that you have in Oaxaca, they don't serve mezcal. They serve Bacardi and Johnny Walker and, and Absolute. Like that's the, that, that's <laughs> when you know you found a legit Oaxacan spot. There you go. One of the things I get asked frequently is where can I drink beautiful heritage agave spirits when I travel to Mexico? And so often when people ask me that question, the first part of it is I'm going to be going to Mexico City. Where can I drink in Mexico City? Now, there are a lot of places that I like to drink in Mexico City. and I have a lot of friends in Mexico City um, who will invite me to their houses to drink the beautiful spirits that they pick up from random communities that they have visited. But now my podcast co-host Chava Peribon has actually set himself up in the Zocalo, the primary Zocalo in Mexico City, in this beautiful centuries-old house where he's offering textiles and ceramics, but also offering private tastings for agave spirits nerds. If you're interested in doing a tasting with Chava Peribon, who leads amazing tastings but records horrible ads... Phew! Go to Seminario12.com. That's S-E-M-I-N-A-R-I-O-1-2.com. Or go to Instagram at Seminario12. Send them a message. Tell them when you're coming, and you're going to have the tasting of your life. So, so Ron Cooper starts going nose-to-nose -nose with this stuff and really opening people's eyes to, hey, there's something here worth checking out. But, you know, I think I think the fact that he had it priced as he did, which, I, you know, I want to say the initial releases were right in the, the $50 to $60 range. Which, which it was significantly more expensive than what you guys were used to. Well, sort of. I mean, it's not nearly as expensive as an expensive bottle of, of whiskey or of rum or, or certainly not of an expensive bottle of wine. Mm. But it's significantly more expensive than, than what it like, used to be. Well, and and certainly more so than like uh, a Lord. standard <laughs> bottle of whiskey, a standard bottle of of vodka, a standard bottle of rum, and you know, and so I think price has a lot to do with it. The fact that they they came to market as an expensive spirit, and you know, Del Maguey introduced that price point. And now, of course, you can find bottles that are closer to $35, $40. But even that is expensive compared to your low end. And we did a whole episode on this, but yeah, yeah, compared yeah. to your low ends of the other spirits. And I, so I think pricing has a lot to do with it too. Which actually catch by surprise a lot of the producers. They, right, they, right. they, they never thought that they were going to be able to have these prices. And 
I mean, we've heard this before, or we've heard this a multitude of times when we've interviewed Mezcaleros. But I think the best quote that we have to this day about that comes from Asis Cortez, who was responsible for bringing El, Hol- El Holgorio to the market and now has this new brand called Dishbe. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's run Asis's quote. And I remember like these conversations with many people, and when I I was one day with uh, with some uncles and I told them, and this was in 2012, like. Your mezcal has to cost at least at least 300 pesos a liter. And they start to laugh. They start to be like, you're crazy. In 2012, they told me, people don't want to pay us even 30 pesos. I try to sell my mezcal in 35 pesos a liter and they don't want to pay me 30. You say 300 and I was like, no, seriously. It's going to be 300 pesos. It's going to be that at least. And I think two, two years later in 2015, that was the price that we was paying. 300 pesos a liter. So there you go, right? Like Assis was documenting this from 2012 to 2015. And that's, you know, when you're talking about 300 pesos a liter, now you're talking about $15 a liter, which, you know, is going to be like $12 for a 750. And granted, that's without any taxes, any export, any bottle. Yeah, but it's, but it's still tenfold. It's still multiplying exactly. by 10 what they used to have. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's impressive the jump that it made, and to your point, that was exponential, happened very fast. Right. And I think seeing that price, I think people look at price as an indicator of quality. You know, it's one of the tricks that I played when I was at Rogue, when I released my really awful rum, and I just priced it $2 more than the most expensive rum in the market in Oregon at the time, and it sold out. Because that's yeah. just... <sighs> yes, because one will claim, for example, Cachaca, Right, yeah, the, yeah. the 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 rum from from Brazil made with heritage processes and uh, wild <laughs> sugarcane, it it was a flop. Never picked up in, in the USA. Like it never. And I love cachaça. I always wanted it for it to to succeed, so I could have access to it in more bars. And it just never did it. And it was a cheaper alcohol, and uh, which says it, it's not as high quality. But you know, but the other thing, God, I love that you said that, because the other thing, this also brings me to my, the third piece of my theory about um, the secret origin <laughs> of mezcal, um, is I think it's Marco Ochoa. Marco Ochoa is the, in the founder of Mezcaloteca. Uh, yeah, well, the co-founder of Mezcaloteca, oh, yes. and he also is like, it's okay, and he also <laughs> has this uh, Mezcouting business, uh, he's like a tour operator, but then he also has this new brand of uh, agave spirits, uncertified agave spirits, heritage agave spirits called, what is it? Destilleria Fantasma. Yeah, Destilleria Fantasma. Um, like, Marco opened up Mezcaloteca in 2010, and the thing that he did that was so revolutionary, it was so revolutionary, was... His label was just his brand name at the top, but then this long list of each of the things that contributed to the bottle, the person who made it, the community that they they made it in, uh, the agave that they used, and then how they cooked it, how they milled it, how they fermented it, how they distilled it, how they adjusted the distillation afterwards. Um, The water, the type of water they used type of water yeah so he like he had all of this detailed information that explained what was in that bottle and it was right there on the front that was the label mm-hmm. and i think i think by doing that it stopped everybody and made them think whoa wait what is this i'm drinking 
Is this why it's so special? Um, but let's let's go to let's go to a quote yeah, from Marco yeah, about yeah. this. The principal objective of this kind of information in the label was put transparency in this product. Because when we begin in this adventure, we see we are not fighting, not it's not a competition because we are in different leagues. It's not the same, the big ones to the traditional, but we need to make the difference around the all distillates because for many years the tequila industry moved into the shadows. No, when you when you here oh in the tequila these guys are using alcohol from cane no and the people don't know only across like a rumor no you you we want to put transparency in the in the label to show a story because we want when you try this mezcal and you read the label you see the link the link what these flavors come no why this mezcal has these states? What plant do you use? No, when we begin and again in the mezcal world, we learn in the mezcal we use different species from agave, like the wine. No, when you see in the tequila, use only one. The other thing we change in other industries. A similar information you can find, but in the back label, never in front. In the front, all the time you see the name of the brand, the big company, and the maestro sometimes appear in the in the back label with a little little name, a little sign, and we say we need to change this. No, the principal guy is the producer, the other is the maguey. No, and how to make, because we need to show the difference. The people need to know we have with a more complex distillate in the world. For the beginning, the prime matter. No, the prime matter needs years and years. It's absurd that the people don't know. So, you know, it's interesting. Marco, like... And I, it's a very fine point, fine distinction that I'm trying to make, which is... Mm. I'm not sure that everybody understands everything on the labels that, that no. Marco puts together, right? And and I think not a lot of times they don't even have the the, the tools to act like to have extremely strictly accurate information for that label. Right. So it's it's right. both it is both ways. Yeah. But he's like he's trying to tell a story and it's an imperfect telling of a story. But it's so beautifully displayed that I think it sort of fetishizes the process. Mm. Well, when, I, when I'm saying fetishize, what I mean specifically is I think people see that label. They see that someone took enough time to try to tell the story. And even though I don't understand the story, I appreciate they're trying to tell me a story. And that gets me excited because then I know that there's a story here. So that's why I get excited about it. I don't, I don't understand the story, but I understand there is a story. Not, not only a story, but also diversity. Like you just... You just, you need to drink more than one mezcal to understand what mezcal is. Yes. And I think that's also something that gets a lot of people hooked in or, or that that was the beautiful thing about these labels. Right. So, you know, I think, I think you've got, you know, you, I think the moment, right? Like mezcal having a moment starts with Ron Cooper going nose to nose in 1994, getting so many people excited. They start traveling to Oaxaca 
mm. to try and experience some of this beauty that they're tasting. And when they travel there, they start seeing like they're visiting Marco at his at his tasting room and they're seeing this label and they're starting to understand more of this story. And mm. that gets them super excited about mezcal, even though coincidentally, most of what Marco's serving is not certified as mezcal. Uh, it took me that... years to understand that. It took me years <laughs> to understand that. But you um, knew it was beautiful. And okay. Okay, okay. But you know, but you know, the people who were doing that traveling, by and large, are the men and women who work in the hospitality industry, the bartenders, the wait staff, the chefs, the owners, the restaurateurs. And and they at the same time, right, you know, right at the beginning of the turn of the century through the 2010s, they're setting up cocktail bars, right? And very specialized places where they're exploring different kinds of, of genes. They're they are going back to a lot of European traditions of distillation. They're they're talking about Armagnacs, about vermouths, they're talking about natural wines. There's all these different things happening at the same time. Right. And so they they come upon this beautiful spirit and they, okay, I want to incorporate this into the stories that I'm telling through my cocktails. Yes. And because it can be so diverse, it already holds such a beautiful story in itself. So it was, I, I, I think it was just the perfect moment for all of these things to happen at the same time. You know, right. for, for Marco to exist, you have a tasting room with this kind of label. Like in the beginning of the 2000s, you couldn't really get good mezcal in Oaxaca. Like, like right. it, it was, you, need, you needed to know someone that ensures you right. to third party. And I mean, one of the other tasting rooms in Oaxaca was Quish, but that was very mm -hmm. close to Central de Abastos. And it, at night, it, get, <laughs> it gets, it gets, you know, like. It gets a little uh, dicey in the neighborhood. Or it I got, love it. I don't know I, if it still does. I, 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 I love it with a passion, still dicey, but it was not a place where you will see a lot of foreigners. And even the Mexicans you will see there, let's say we're not wearing heels. Uh, so it was a different type of crowd. It was a younger, less influential crowd, the group of kids that we were going to, to quish. So yeah. I think just the, even the venue that Marco and the way that decorate, everything about it was perfect. It spoke enough of the language they already knew and gave them enough of something new right. for, for them to, to be engaged and to be happy about it. Right. I think. Right. Yeah. You know, I wonder sometimes if uh, another reason that Mescal is having a moment that's a 20, 15, 20 year moment isn't because it's so different than other spirits because of the source material, because of the diversity in flavors, that it's a hard thing to understand. And as a consequence, it's hard to get people to jump on en masse. It's why, it's why Mescal is one and a half percent of tequila sales. How mm, uh, no, man? Like I, I think there's a lot of things that are over the top complex that are, are still very capable and very successful as being massively consumed. Uh, like I, I think a lot of coffees that we have are tremendously complex, and they still have the chance to be consumed by millions of people. But, but, but do they? Are you Some, telling me that the, the complexity is what you're finding at Starbucks? Like, I think you're always uh, going to have that, that small segment of the market, right? That, that, that tiny sliver uh, that really digs into the diversity. And here, I think it's the diversity that's the driving force, which makes it difficult for that larger margin to jump into it. 
Yeah, like, I, I, I'm not... What I can say, though, it's, you know, you rarely talk with someone that says, tequila changed my life. Like, you've never hear someone saying, like, I, I, I thought I knew the world of alcohol, and then I had a tequila, and that absolutely re- revolutionized my, my life. Whereas you get that a lot from mezcal drinkers, where, like what you said, when I, I one day I realized that it was uncertified agave spirits and I right. understood where it came from and suddenly I, I, I started thinking about products and alcohol and many other things in a different way. Right. So I, I, there's something bizarre about products that can, can, can knock you in the head <laughs> and change your life, right? Uh, right. It, it, it's like a, a relationship that it's not there only to serve you. It's a relationship that it's there also to to hurt you in in very beautiful ways. So I <laughs> <laughs> so I think that maybe that's that that there's like sort of a com- like there's a commitment. There's something very bizarre about 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 agave spirits that it's not it's it's not so easy to chew as other stuff. You know, it's it's not yeah. your it's it's not that movie that you're gonna watch while you're hangover eating Cheetos and not having to pay attention with it. Like it, it's one of the it's it's your criterion collection movie that you have to to have the energy and and the enthusiasm to go through it. So I think that's part of it. Okay, I like that. Well, I think I think we'd best uh, wrap this up and uh, just say you know this is this is just I'm not even sure if it's our theory. I think if if you and I sat down and parsed it out, we we have different theories about it. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. a theory. It's a theory about. The secret Lou Banks theory. Lou Banks theory about the secret origin of mezcal, and I think we should just wrap it and leave it at that, Java. Hasta pronto. Adios. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lou Bank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Eat responsibly too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.